The biography read at the beginning of the sermon was taken from John Piper in Desiring God Ministries. If you've been following along with us, we've been going through the Gospel of John, working through verse by verse, but today we're going to do something different, obviously, in Isaiah 55. It's going to be different because on Wednesday there is a fun holiday that's coming up that Christians, especially our church, we should be excited about. And if you were in Sunday school, you should know the answer to this. Those in Sunday school with me, what, uh, what's coming up on Wednesday that we're so excited about? No! Reformation Day! Good! Reformation Day! Reformation Day. That's what we're excited about. Some of you have never heard of Reformation Day. You're like, you just made that up on the spot. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. October 31st is traditionally held as kind of the the day that the Protestant Reformation started. Now again, that's actually something that happened over hundreds of years. But that is the day that Martin Luther, if you've ever heard of Martin Luther, that he nailed his 95 theses to a church door saying, here's 95 things that are wrong with the church the Catholic Church. And he said, I want to have a discussion about this. So he nailed him to the church door. And from that, that's generally speaking where historians say that's how the Protestant Reformation started. Now, what does it mean to be Protestant? Well, quick history lesson for you. You had the the Catholic Church after the time of Jesus. When I say Catholic, I mean universal because that's what Catholic means, universal. And so you had the, the Catholic Church that existed. And while they had some disagreements with the group in the East, and so then you had the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. So then you had those two churches going along, going along, going along, and then you started to have a lot of corruption in the Catholic Church. Things like, if you pay money, then some of your family members that are in purgatory will go straight to heaven. Doesn't that sound good? Give me some money, and you'll be able to do that. The idea of praying to saints. Now, if you're new, there's something that we like to talk about all the time. Uh, Congregation, uh, who are the saints? We are. That's right. Some of you are like, really? I'm a saint? Well, if you trust in Jesus, you are. Okay, because it has actually nothing to do with you and how good you are, but it has everything to do with how great Jesus is. And Jesus gives us his righteousness, takes away our sin, and so thus we're saints. So all of us who are Christians are saints. So there were these false teachings that were happening, but the problem was the Word of God was in a different language than what most of the people knew. It was in Latin. And so people didn't understand the Word of God. So then guess what happened? There were people in the church, like the Pope and bishops, who would tell the people, well, this is what the Bible says. Give us money and your family will go to heaven. They'll leave purgatory. Also, by the way, purgatory, not in Scripture. People didn't know. So then you had some monks like Martin Luther, some pastors, some scholars, who started to read the Bible and they started to say, wait a second, that's not what the Bible says. They were reading it in the Greek and the Hebrew, and they're saying, wait a minute, that's not what it says. And they begin to translate the Bible into the language of the people. The language of the people began to just explode. The people began to see the Word of God and that there was power, and they began to protest against the Catholic Church. That's where you get Protestant. And these churches began to push back, and the Catholic Church didn't like that and would even kill some of the Protestants, real quickly before we jump into the text, I want to share one with you. A man named William Tyndale. 
born 1494, died in 1536 in England. Listen to this quickly. When Tyndale was 28 years old, in 1522, he was serving as a tutor in the home of John Walsh. He was spending most of his time studying the Greek New Testament during this time as he was being uh, tutoring somebody. So he's studying the Greek New Testament. It, and the Greek New Testament had just come out as far as for people there to read six years before. Again, everything else was in Latin. So as he went on, Tyndale saw that Reformation truths more clearly in the Greek New Testament. One day, he was with a, a couple of Catholics, and this guy said to him, he got tired of Tyndale, and he said, you know what? We were better to be without God's law than the Pope's law. So this guy, this Catholic guy, said basically, hey, it's better for us if we didn't have God's law as long as we have the Pope's law. Do you see what they're doing? They're elevating the words of the Pope higher than that of Scripture. One of the things that came out of the Protestant Reformation was that we believe in our authority is Scripture alone. Not tradition, not man's words. Scripture alone. Listen to how Tyndale responded to him. If God will spare my life many years, I will cause a boy that drives the plow to know more Scripture than the Pope. Four years later, Tyndale finished the English translation. It wasn't in English. All these people are speaking English. It wasn't in English yet. He finished the English translation of the New Testament. And then he began to smuggle Bibles into England. All around England. In 1526, a certain bishop banned these books, but about 3,000 had already been made. The books were getting out to the people, and over the next eight years, there were five pirated editions as well that were printed, and this thing was just spreading like wildfire. Now remember, the same things were happening in Germany, in German, in France, in French, the language of the people, this was spreading with other translators. For the first time ever in history, the Greek New Testament was translated into English, and before his martyrdom in 1536, martyrdom means he was killed for this, Tyndale would go on to translate into clear common English, not only the whole New Testament, but the first five books of the Bible, Joshua to Second Chronicles and Jonah. It became the basis for the Great Bible and for the King James Version. How many of you read or have read the King James Version? It's believed that somewhere around 80% of your King James Bible was translated by Tyndale. That's where they got it from. Tyndale said this, Man is lost, spiritually dead and condemned. God is sovereign, Christ is sufficient, and faith is all. Bible translation and Bible truth were inseparable for Tyndale. And in the end, it was the truth, especially the truth of justification by faith alone. That means that you are justified before God because of your faith, not because of any works that you do. And the Catholic Church was teaching otherwise. In October 1536, at only 42 years old, Tyndale was tied to a stake in silence because he was strangled and then burned because he translated the Bible into English. But because of his vernacular in English and the English translation, the song itself swelled into a mighty 
British course of chambermaids, cobblers, and yes, even little plowboys. And the Protestant Reformation continued, and people were able to have the word of God in their own language. At his martyrdom, the last words that we know that he said was, May God open the eyes of the king. Within four years of his martyrdom, the government, the Church of England, they authorized a version of the English Bible for everybody. Within four years, God opened the eyes of the king, and everybody could have the English Bible. It's so important to have the Word of God in a language you can understand. And that's why we're going to look in Isaiah 55 today to see why, partly why it's so important. Because it's verses like these that we're going to see is why Tyndale was willing to die to make sure that you could read your Bibles. Let's look at it together. Isaiah 55. And as we always do, we're going to go through verse by verse. Isaiah 55.1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Isaiah is starting off here and he's talking about the fact that he gives this same command that we see Jesus gives continually, come. But there's one prerequisite that you have to have if you want to come. You've got to be thirsty. You've got to be thirsty because you're coming to drink of God. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. If you thirst, right? I'm thirsty. What do I drink? Do I eat saltine crackers? If I'm really thirsty, I'm like, oh, I'm just dying of thirst. Give me some saltine crackers. No, if you're thirsty, you're thirsty for something specific. The question is, are you thirsty for the Word of God? Do you really want the Word of God? If you do, come. Look at this. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine, milk, without money and without price. It's a free offer. Do you know why it's a free offer? Because the Word of God is priceless. You cannot put a price on the Word of God. It is infinitely valuable, so it's priceless. That's why we don't charge for Bibles. That's why we don't charge for the preaching of the Gospel. There's no price you could put on it that's worth it. It's too amazing. It changes your life. It brings you to the knowledge of salvation. How can you put a number on that? It gets you with God for eternity. Give me 15 bucks. It's priceless. Come and buy without anything. Verse 2. Here's a question for us today. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why, oh why, do we continually go to other things other than the Word of God to try to get our fulfillment? We continually try. But if Scripture's true, then what Scripture says is that we can have fullness of joy, salvation, hope, Peace, all these things come from the Scriptures, but yet I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to watch Netflix all the time instead of reading my Bible. I'm going to put my hope 
of how my week's going to go depending on the score of the game. We have to understand the importance of the Word of God and how we often go to other things that just are helpful. They're not helpful. So here's what Isaiah says. Listen diligent to me. Look at that. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Like, is this true? Do you believe the Word of God? Because if you do, what he's saying is you need to listen very carefully. Come and eat the Word. And as you eat, delight yourself in it. I know that when some of you go to eat after church and you go to Annie's and you take a bite of that hamburger, yes, I'm talking about myself mostly here, but I know that as you go, that bite, it's like this, oh, I delight in the burger. i got to be honest. might be a glutton. I'm not sure I'm working on it. Pray for me. We delight in food all the time. Here's a question. Do you delight in the Word of God? We should. Scripture says we should. Why do we not? I think sometimes we don't understand it. Maybe you're reading a version that doesn't make sense to you. Kind of like the people back when Tyndale was living. They couldn't understand the Bible. But the moment they could, the power of the Word came out. And it changed the church forever. I promise you, If you can understand the Word of God and you have the Spirit of God, it will change your life forever. It will change you. You can be saved. And even more than that, this life with Christ, that's what true salvation is, this living with Christ daily, you are going to have so much peace, joy, not necessarily peace from outside because you will be attacked. I'm talking about stuff inside. That only exists by the Word of God. Here's the encouragement again. Listen, delight, incline your ear so that your soul may live. If you don't listen to the Word of God, if you don't get to where you're delighting in the Word of God, if you don't get to where you incline your ear to the Word of God, what this is saying is your soul may not live. It's serious stuff. Serious enough that people then were willing to die for translation and there are people right now who are dying for Bible translation around the world because there's still a lot of people who don't have this in their language. Do you understand that? There are still people, people groups all around this world who do not have this book in their language. What are we doing about it? Are we helping? Do we care? He then goes on to say, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. You know, King David, he's talking about something, a promise that he gives in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So what he's saying here is God makes a covenant with David, and ultimately what he says to David is, hey, so there's going to be someone on your throne who's going to live forever, and he's going to rule forever. At first, people thought that was Solomon, but guess what? Solomon died. He doesn't get to rule forever. But do you know who comes from David's line? Jesus. And he rules forever. Behold, I made him, talking of David here, a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation 
that you do not know, again, the nation of Israel at this time, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. They'll run to the message. What this is meaning is ultimately that all nations were going to come into faith. All nations were going to come running to the promise. They didn't know this at the time. Salvation is for the Jews and the Gentiles. It's for everybody. That's why we also see in the book of Revelation that around the throne, it's every tribe, tongue, and nation. Tongue is important. Can you imagine if you couldn't read the Word of God, if you didn't have it ever in your life? A tragedy. Because the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. It's Christ ultimately that will bring all the nations, all the tongues around the throne. Verse 6 Seek the Lord while He may be found, call upon Him while He is near. We don't want to gloss over that. You're to seek the Lord. This is active. But look at this interesting point here. Call upon Him while He is near. You need to realize something in Hebrews 12. Listen to this. This is one of the scariest verses in Scripture. Hebrews 12. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Do you remember Esau? Jacob and Esau? Who sold his birthright for a single meal. Gave away everything. Came in. Oh, I need some soup. Give me everything you have. Okay. Good one, Esau. But look, look, look. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Listen. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. There actually becomes a time that if you reject God long enough, the time of repentance passes you. Now that doesn't mean you say, well, what if somebody repents and believes? Then they believe. But there seems to be in Scripture this idea of if you go too long and you continually reject the Lord, you will will seek repentance and you won't find it like that. Because it won't truly be seeking it. If you truly seek it, you'll get it. But if you wait too long, there seems to be this, you missed the boat. I hope that's not you today. I hope you haven't been coming and hearing over and over and you have not called out to the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. A few more verses. Verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Here's what he's saying. Seek the Lord. Call upon the Lord. Wicked people, forsake your ways. Unrighteous man, forsake your thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That doesn't make any sense. Do you realize that? Like This idea doesn't actually make any sense. The fact that we're guilty against God, but yet he would forgive us, that actually doesn't make any sense. We've done nothing to deserve forgiveness. It's called mercy. It's called grace. And the fact that he will forgive us, he will pardon us, what Isaiah is saying is if this is what God is calling you to do, that's what leads into these next verses. He feels like he has to explain it to you. Listen to what he says. Verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. You wouldn't do this. You wouldn't just forgive somebody who comes up and shoots your kid. You wouldn't forgive them for that on your own. That's what we did. We killed Jesus. And he says, I'll forgive you for that. 
Why? Because my ways aren't your ways. Your thoughts aren't my thoughts. I'm a gracious, loving, merciful God. So he has to explain it to us. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's encouraging. Which leads to verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and the bread and to the eater. This is encouraging. What he ultimately is saying is the way you're going to learn, not fully, but God's ways and God's thoughts is through his word. And the way his word works is it comes down and it doesn't return void. It comes down and it saturates the earth. It saturates your heart and it will work. Here's the key. You have to interact with it. If you don't interact with it, it's not going to do that. Also, when we're sharing the gospel with people, this is what we need to be thankful for. If we share the gospel with people, it's not going to return void. They'll either move to faith or they'll actually move farther away. But listen, it's not up to us. It's up to their faith and the work of the Spirit. So share the gospel with them. It's going to do something. Read the gospel. Read the scriptures every day. It will do something. Say, well, at first, I don't really want to do it. Well, guess what happens? Just like really dry soil, you spray some water on it. It doesn't really sink in right away, does it? But you keep saturating with water, and eventually it breaks in. You will love the Word of God if you interact with it. Here's one more part. I need a a volunteer. Someone that would be willing. You're going to like this one. Oh, look at that. He's volunteering. Praise God. Praise God. He's going to volunteer. That's great. That's great. This is going to be a fun one. <laughs> you hold that. Part of what the Word of God does for us, listen to me, we are in a battle, a spiritual battle all the time. All the time. If you do not have the Spirit of God and you do not have the Word of God, you literally have nothing to fight against it. Nothing. It's like... If he is Satan, evil, the world, sin, and he's going to fight against me, he has a weapon, right? When you try to fight on your own, you're pulling out this. Okay? Here's your fight. Come on, Satan, bring it on. He's got the knife. I've got the gun. I've shot him. Obviously, I've won. I listened to Dr. Phil this morning. Satan, get away from me. Uh-oh. He's got the knife now. He had it hidden, too. Good thing you didn't stab yourself when I shot you. Probably should have rehearsed that. Do you know that in the fight there's one weapon? You put on the armor of God, which is multiple aspects, but there's one weapon. What is it? So then, when we have a fight, now I have the sword of the Spirit. That's a cute knife he has over there. This is a man's knife right here. Thank you, Roy. There's no other way of looking at it, friends. The Word of God will do what it's supposed to do. That includes salvation, 
That includes, includes our growth. That includes fighting off the evil one. Your choice. Your choice. Let's finish up the text. Look what happens. This is incredible. Look what happens. But it shall accomplish, verse 11, that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. question is, why does he send his word? What is it for? What is it to do? Part of it is to fight the evil one. It makes us wise into salvation. Verse 12, look what will happen. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The Word of God gives joy. The Word of God gives peace. It renews our minds. It brings unity. It makes us strong when times are tough, when somebody dies, when somebody gets shot, when whatever happens, it gives us hope. You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace no matter what's going on, no matter what the storm around you looks like. If you have the Word of God, you will have this. The mountains and the hills before you, this is incredible. Look, the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Are they actually doing that? It seems so, but guess what? Most of the time I look, I don't see that. You know what the Word of God will do? It'll give you a new perspective on everything. Brothers and sisters, we need a new perspective. Daily. Hourly. Instead, look at this, instead of a thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of a briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. These things are yours, beloved. And as long as you have the Spirit of God, they're found right here. As we said with the Protestant Reformation, Scripture alone is our authority. Scripture alone is your true bread. You need to eat the Word. You need to drink the Word. You need the Word all the time. I need the Word all the time. Inside your bulletins, for those of you who may be struggling with this, some of you do Bible reading and this isn't a struggle for you. We printed out a simple Bible reading plan for you. This is an encouragement, something to equip you. If you have a different reading plan, praise God. Use the different reading plan. This is for some of you who struggle, which I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it's hard to read the Bible every day regularly. This is five by five by five, five days a week for five minutes a day and gives you five ways to dig deeper. Now, That doesn't mean you don't read anything on Saturday and Sunday or whatever two days. I would say read the Old Testament because this is actually going to take you through the New Testament. This is a good place to start. We want the full counsel of God. All of the Word of God is living and active. All of it is His breath. So on the days that it doesn't have something, you can read Psalms, Proverbs, Genesis, Exodus. Read other things. But this is just a a tool to help equip equip you to get into the Word every day. Here's our takeaways. Don't bring a Nerf gun to a sword fight. If you're a believer, feast on the Word of God. 
You need it to continue to grow. You need it for your mind to be renewed. You need it to walk in step with God's Spirit so the fruit of the Spirit will just be flowing out of you. You need it. I need it. Be resolved to read the Word every day. Listen to me. All of you put on clothes this morning to come. Good job. (laughs) That wasn't by accident. You meant to do it. Good job. You will eat today. Good job. You do things every day because you're resolved to do them. And they've become habits, many of them. The difference is, do you think the Word of God is important enough to do it every day? To be resolved. It's better for you to stay home and not really eat and not get dressed and read the Word of God than it is to leave and not read the Word of God and carry on about your day. Your soul will die. That's how you respond if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, it's so great that God brought you here today. Thank you for coming. Don't pass on another chance to repent. Don't do it. Cry out to Jesus today. Please save me. I ask for forgiveness for all my sins. I confess them to you and ask for forgiveness. Do that today during our invitation time. You can do it from your seat. You can come forward. If some of you have some business to do up here with the Lord, you can come pray. You can pray there. It doesn't matter. But that's our responses today. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you. We do thank you for the privilege to be able to read your word in our own language. We are thankful that you used men like William Tyndale to translate your word into a language that we can understand. We're thankful that because he loved your word, because he had your spirit, and because he understood that salvation with you is infinitely more valuable than anything, he was willing to die. But his death is nothing when you put it up next to the death of your son, who's perfect and innocent, but dies in our place as a sacrifice. But Lord, we are thankful that after three days he defeats sin, Satan, and death for all of us. I pray for my friends today. I pray that we would be resolved to love your word. It would be the only authority in our lives, Lord, that comes from you. And again, for anyone here who has never trusted in you, Lord, I pray that today is the day of salvation for them. In Jesus' name, amen.